0: Rework is brought to you by Basecamp. Basecamp is a software tool for teams. It centralizes everything the team needs to know tasks, files, and discussions in one easy to use place so nothing gets lost and nothing slips through the cracks. Try it with your team at Basecamp.com.
1: Welcome to Rework, a podcast about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Sean Hildner.
0: And I'm Waylon Wong. A couple months ago, we aired an episode that was a phone conversation between Basecamp co-founder David Heinemeier Hansen and Matt Mullenweg, the founder of Automatic. They had a spirited debate about tech monopolies and wielding power in open-source software communities. That discussion happened to be inspired by a snarky tweet that DHH sent Matt's way.
1: Today, we have another conversation between DHH and someone he put on blast on Twitter, Dave Tier, the co-founder of 1Password. A few weeks ago, after OnePassword announced it had raised $200 million in venture capital, DHH tweeted, So sad to read this, sad face emoji. Whenever I read about a software service I like hopping on the venture capital train to Unicornville, I fully expect them to go to shit. OnePassword now needs to become a many billion dollar company or die trying, in all caps. That usually leads to desperate slash shitty decisions.
0: The conversation on Twitter went back and forth, and Dave Tier of 1Password wrote a long response on Medium that he called a love letter to DHH. We got DHH and Dave on the phone to hash out what this deal means for 1Password when it comes to growth expectations and control of the company, and what anxieties they have around sustainability, change, and the structural pressures of the venture capital system.
1: One quick note, you'll hear some references to Basecamp getting money from Jeff Bezos. That refers to a 2006 deal in which Bezos bought a minority stake in the company. We'll link to blog posts about that deal in our show notes. Now, here's the conversation between DHH
2: and Dave Teer. Well, first of all, I just wanted to thank Dave for coming on the show. I've been... uh big fan of 1Password for a very long time. I don't even know when I started using it, but I have screenshots of like old, rusty-looking Mac um, (laughs) uh, OS versions where I see 1Password in it. So I think it's been for a very long time. And we've also been a customer at Basecamp for quite a while. So this uh, this interview uh, comes a little bit the same way that the Matt Mullenweg interview came together, where I and, and Basecamp, big fans of, uh, of, of the company and what you guys have been doing for a long time, and then just having the opportunity to sit down with someone who kind of tracks the same trajectory of history that we did. I mean, Basecamp was launched in 2004 and... The math is what, 2006 for 1Password, 2005? Yeah, 2000,
3: 2006 is when we officially, uh, Roostam and I, um, my, my business partner, so Roostam and I uh, started our own company back in 2006. And primarily, that was actually a result of um, of Rails. We were doing a Java 2 Enterprise Edition work back then, so J2EE. <laughs> One day, I think it was Roostam, found this video of you giving a talk about how fast it is to make a website in Rails. So we, we watched that however many times. And so we got really excited about that. And um, we actually went out on our on our own. We, we founded a new company uh, specifically to do web development, actually. Uh, that's the same company that eventually became 1Password. But the very first thing that we were trying to do was web, web development uh, using Rails.
2: That's awesome. I mean, it's again, it's very similar, actually, to the Basecamp story. Basecamp started as a... Web consultancy first, just doing design, and I joined up. We did uh, design and programming, and then we turned things into a into a product company. So I think that this is why when I tweeted out uh, in response to the announcement of the venture capital that, how to put it, like there's a different level of care. Like companies raise venture capital all the time. I mean, there's an announcement basically every other day about Series A or Series E or in between, and. I mean, in in some ways, from my perspective, whatever. But when it comes to companies that I'm I'm really fond of, I, I get this uh oh moment. Not that that means oh shit is bound to go poorly. Just that uh oh, I've been in this industry for 20 years. I've seen just the mountain of corpses that come out of the venture capital mill. And it's just, I don't want that to happen to a company I really like, to a product that I really like. So that's really the the emphasis for for this conversation, for us to basically talk about venture capital, talk about 1Password, talk about all the considerations that go into it. I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs that sit with basically just a lot of questions about how this whole thing works, especially how it works at your scale. I mean, this is such a large uh, round that I think that there's just a lot of curiosity about that. And then there's the other constituency, which is 1Password users, people who simply use internet that they buy online, and they take a care and they take a concern in the companies that make the products that they buy, and they want to sort of feel like they sort of know what's going on know where things are going, so that's the basis of it and I hope we can simply just uh yeah talk about all of it and and at any time if if there's any of the questions that I have you go like well I just I can't share that that's private information or whatever totally cool this is just for us to yeah. to essentially have that yeah. uh, have that conversation and um, explore the whole realm
3: you you hit the nail on the head like that's how I try to read everyone's tweets like coming from a from a from a point of view of concern i like to say if people didn't care right they just wouldn't do anything right and and like that would be the worst of all worlds right you know your tweet absolutely was like a knife in my heart i was like oh man (laughs) it hurts so bad man but after i thought about it for a while i was like no 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 it's coming from a Point of view of concern and 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 love, if I may. So yeah, that's. I was more than happy when you when you suggested, hey, let's get together and and let's talk because Twitter is not always the best best spot for that.
2: I I think Twitter is never the best spot for that, (laughs) and I say that as a (laughs) prolific tweeter and a prolific uh, shit kicker on. Twitter is that it's a place to perhaps start a conversation. It's never a place to really engage in the depth of a conversation. And it's certainly not a place for nuance either, right? And it just, it never gets to the humanity of the issue. It never gets to the sort of the core of the issue. And I think leveling up to a podcast is um, probably one of the best things that's happened for the internet in a long time. So Mm -hmm. I was going to start with the first question, which was really the thing that provoked me to... Sort of tweet about the announcement, which was just this notion of curiosity. Like, what is 1Password going to do with $200 million? And the standard answer was sort of delivered alongside the announcement, which I, I know we'll get into more in, in depth on, but it was this sort of standard VC line, like, this is to fund aggressive growth, that so this is a growth company. Um, I, I think even the the word rocket ship was used yeah. in there. Um, so it's sort of- I think that was in my post. Yep. Maybe in your post. But just a standard vernacular around venture capital. This is because things are going fast. We need to pour in a lot of capital. Here's $200 million to grow really fast. But then I also saw that you said somewhere else, I don't know if it was your post or, or in, a, in a tweet where you said- one password didn 't actually need the money that this was perhaps not so much about just the the company uh, getting a bunch of money to to fund aggressive growth but but also about taking money off the table. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of elaborate a little bit on like uh, where did the money go in the sense that did it go mostly to the company and you guys just took took a little slice of it or was it mostly to take sort of risk out of the uh, equation for for you and the business partner and whoever else is uh, Kind of have an ownership stake.
3: Yeah, certainly a great question. I I know I confused a lot of people by saying, hey, we don't need any money. By the way, we just raised two hundred million dollars. Like those two. Like what? 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 What on earth is going on there? A, a couple. A couple thoughts there. So first of all, you started by talking about how thirty-seven signals and or Basecamp now and one password. Um, actually, I won't even bother sharing our old name. Well, AgileBits is okay. Uh, we were on similar trajectories. You know, I, I've I've learned a lot. From from you over the years, and I'm I'm so thankful how much you you blog and all these types of things. One one of the posts that you had actually from quite some time ago, think like over ten years ago. You know you were you found yourself in a similar situation where you wanted to take a little bit of risk off the table yourself, right? Um, so we actually basically did the same thing. We have something really good going here. We have been profitable since day one, and we're you know we're enjoying what we do. We. Are bringing in customers very fast. Customers are really enjoying their time here, and it's like a virtuous cycle that's, that's taking place. And if I've learned one thing on the internet, it's that not everything stays constant. I'm actually super confident in in one password. I think we're in like a really good space. It's not. It's not like we're selling something people don't need. People really need this. Like it's it's the perfect tool for for today's internet. And who knows how long that's going to last. I, I do kind of laugh at these headlines when I see them, but quite frequently there's headlines saying, you know, death of the password or, you know, uh, fingerprints are going to replace the password, like like all sorts of different things like that. And while I laugh at those ones, because I I don't see passwords going anywhere anytime soon, but who knows? Who knows? You know, there might be something that comes out of left field tomorrow that just turns the whole industry on it, on the side of its head And it's no longer a virtuous cycle for us, right? To to answer your question more directly, uh, the majority of that money came off the table. We were removing a lot of risk. That's rather surprising, I suppose, because, you know, we're a private company. We don't share our financials and these types of things. So um, lots of people just... Assume that we're like uh, just just barely making it by, right? Um, but that's that's not the case.
2: I, I think this is such a great discussion because this goes really to the heart of. Some of these stereotypes I just hate about entrepreneurship, which is that all entrepreneurs are all about like this maximum commitment, this maximum risk, about doubling down on this thing they just have undivided and eternal faith in. Um, I think the one of the best stereotypes for this kind of uh, person is Adam Newman at the uh, at WeWork. When when I heard the stories about him, basically taking the stock that he had to borrow against this stock so he could buy more of his own stock, um, just that anecdote alone went like, I, I don't even, I can't even understand that. Versus what you're telling is exactly how Jason and I felt when back in 2006, uh, we sold this minority stake to, to Bezos, that we were like, this is good. Like things are going well, but internet companies, all kind of companies go out of business all the time. Like all sorts of meteorites hit technologies. I mean, technology is a, a thing where things moved. So who knows if this thing is even going to exist in five years. And if we just have all our eggs in this one basket and it just all blows up, are we going to look back and think like, well, that was so courageous. That was so brave because we doubled down and we just had, uh, had this unwavering faith in, in the company. No, we're going to look back and think like, Jesus, that was dumb. That was just stupid, right? And I think that there, it's almost like there's a stigma around that for for entrepreneurs where I, I'm, I'm looking at the original post that um, Jason wrote back in 2006 and I can see some of this dancing that thankfully we sort of over the years got away from, but we never actually sort of say... Fully outright, we say we didn't need the money to run the business, which is sort of this euphemism to um, for for kind of just taking the money or selling part of your your share in a company to someone else and then taking that money and putting it in your pocket, and it just it kind of makes me angry that that's seen as something like I don't know to be ashamed of. Which is kind of why that—that's that, sort of my basis of the question here. If if the, um, if the deal with one password is essentially like, hey, we want to sell some of our, the company. We own the company. We want to sell part of it to, to someone else, so we can take some of that uh, money and put it somewhere else, get diversified, God forbid, into into something else. That seems like totally legit. And and I'm I'm curious. I'm wondering if if you have any thoughts on like, what do you think that that's. Hard for entrepreneurs to just go outright and say that, hey, we, we took a bunch of money. It wasn't because we needed it for the business. The business is profitable, it's fine, but we wanted to take some money out of the business. Why do entrepreneurs feel like that's hard to just come out and say?
3: It's a really good question. The first thought that comes to my mind is people have a really difficult time being vulnerable online. They have a difficult time being vulnerable in real life, like face to face, but when you're online, most people anyway seem to kind of double down on it, right? It's like I need to kind of hide and conceal, you know, kind of the frozen, right? The, the, the frozen music's going through my head right now. Please don't sing it because I, I don't, I don't want I don't, I to go there. The other part is people really love what they do. I really, really love what I do. And as I was listening to what you were saying, part of me, myself, actually started to feel kind of bad because I was like, you know what? No, no. One password really is the bee's knees. Like I should double down on this, right? And it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's human nature to, to look at things from, from multiple, multiple angles. And especially when it's something that you love. I don't want to fuck it up, right? Like uh, the RuPaul, don't fuck it up is something that I think about a lot. At the same time, I really think one password, like, and this is where (laughs) I I listened to your Matt, Matt interview. I I think this is where we're going to disagree, but I'm going to go there anyways. I truly believe that every single company out there should be using one password. Like they need it. It's like it's solving a problem that they have. And so I see the opportunity and I want us to, I want us to have aspirational goals and, and to, to push ourselves and to get there. I see the opportunity out there and I see that we we can help. And so I really wanna I really want to push one, one password forward to help them out. So it's kind of a balance in my mind. One is yeah, I want to take some money off the table and kind of you know deleverage a little bit. Um, now not that we're leveraged, that's probably the wrong word. But you know, to take a little bit of money off the table, but I also want to I also wanna continue pushing. And in Jason's post there, I don't have it in front of you, but I seem to remember there was a part there, or maybe it was in the comments, where it was just like, you know, having a little bit of extra money in the bank account actually helps to help you sleep at night a little bit better. Those are my words, not Jason's. But let me back up on that thought a little bit. When we first hired our very first employee, uh, Dan Peterson was his name, and he still works here today as our our lead designer. And uh, when we hired Dan, I was nervous as hell, right? Like, Up until that point, it was Rusum and I, and we didn't get paid, so who really cared, right? There was no uh, payroll to meet or anything like that. When Dan came along, it was like, oh, I'm now responsible for someone else's livelihood. And like, you know, that's something that I... Don't take lightly. So I did all sorts of things to help me sleep at night. You'll, you'll quickly learn that I really value my sleep and I'm very easily kept up at night. So I do all sorts of things to make sure I can sleep. And in this case, we actually saved up like Rusman and I wouldn't pay each other. Um, we saved up three months worth of expenses so that if sales stopped on a particular day and sales just went to zero, and didn't do anything, like we didn't have a sale for like three months, I knew I could pay everyone and they would have plenty of time to either go find another job or to help us fix whatever the problem was, why we didn't have sales anymore. And so while the majority of the money did come off the table, I feel much, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but I feel, I feel more Maybe confident sword. I, I feel more confident just knowing that we we have like this safety net, basically. Not that I ever plan on it, but like now we could have like a rough year and you know, we'd be okay. We could we could weather the storm the storm, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I love that. I mean those sentiments are exactly the same kind of sentiments that Jason and I were batting around. Um, both from the perspective of just how important payroll is. That once you have a payroll, the game is completely changed. When I joined up with Jason, I switched too from from being an employee to to being a partner of the company, and it sort of it didn't dawn on me really at at first. Part of that is perhaps sort of the different places you grow up. I, I grew up in in Denmark, and family lived. Paycheck to paycheck. And and sometimes that paycheck didn't stretch all the way to the end of the month. And that was a little rough, but it was never like, oh, well, I can't afford healthcare or you're not going to buy books for schools or something. So I got a little bit of a rosy colored glass version of that. And then coming to the US and just realizing just the stakes were different. And I think we really, I think we missed payroll once in the history of basecamp and it wasn't because we didn't have the money for it there was some just something went wrong and i remember just that sense of just feeling like this is one of the worst things we've done. <laughs> yes. Like, even if, if this is because of a mistake, it was, it was. We, I think we were switching payroll providers or something, and there was some fuck up. And like, it ha- I think it happened on a Friday or something even, which just makes matters worse, <laughs> right? Like, people are supposed to be paid on Friday, yeah. there's no money, and like, we can't fix it until Monday. And I think that really just etched into my brain, just like, you gotta fucking make payroll. Whatever you do, you gotta make payroll. And it was also one of those things where I mean, I don't know why I keep coming back to this, but the the WeWork, uh debacle just seems so fucked up when you hear about like, oh, here's all these billion dollar deals, and like, oh, they can't afford to pay severance or whatever. There was some delay in that, and you just go like, you gotta take care of that first. So I completely, I completely sympathize with uh with well, that, and the- I also sympathize with. The- go ahead.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, make, making payroll is quite difficult, actually. Like, it's not, again, it's not what you just said. It's not about the money. It's, it's about the systems in place. So here in Ontario, we're, we're based in Canada, and um, when you actually pay your people, the government actually fully expects you to be trying to delay payment as late as possible. So we didn't know this. We didn't know this. But Sarah, my my wife, CFO, all these different types of hats, but she makes sure that people actually get paid. So my wife has this, this wonderful thing where she'll always pay taxes ahead of time. We were trying to do the same thing with payroll. So we paid it like a week early. That way, if something goes wrong, who cares? We'll fix it. And I want to say it's funny, but it was incredibly frustrating. We actually ended up getting dinged by the government for not paying our payroll taxes on time. And so we called them and we're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're paying early. That was such a foreign concept to them. They had no idea what we were doing. Their systems couldn't handle it. And they were basically just like, no, if you do that, you're going to get flagged and we're going to charge you interest and you're going to have to call us like every single, every single month. Like it was ridiculous. Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny how money is not always the part of paying payroll. That's, that's the hard part.
2: Yeah. And it's also just funny just how the, Sort of the whole conception of capitalism and companies are like, well, we got to set this up because like everyone is out to screw everyone over. And, and that's probably true a lot of the case, right? Like a lot of the time that is what's going on, but it's also just when that's not going on, you just feel like this This is a foreign world that we're in. Um, the other point you, you brought up, this idea of feeling confident, that was really, that's probably been the number one thing I go back to when I talk to people about the deal we did with Bezos in 2006 was... The, the money was obviously was was great i mean i went i've written about this several times. I went from having essentially twenty thousand dollars in my bank account or, or whatever it was at the time to all of a sudden like there's millions in my bank account and that's a really weird foreign experience for someone who's not used to money like that, but it was also more importantly it was the kind of experience where you just go like, well, now we can take it all the way now we can keep doing this how we want to do it for as long as we want to do it, saying what we want to say, doing what we want to do, running the company in the weird ways, perhaps, that we want to do it. Because do you know what? If us doing our best according to our best ability and our noblest intention is not good enough, do you know what? That's how I want to go down then. Mm-hmm. I want to go down trying to run the best company I could. And if it didn't work, fine. Versus if you don't feel like you have that that risk off the table, you're going to be so much more anxious. Like, one of the things I, I always feel sorry, actually, for a lot of entrepreneurs is just how anxious they are a lot of the times, like how nervous they are, they're how paranoid they are. Like Paranoia has even been sort of exalted to this virtue. Uh, Intel CEO was famous for <laughs> saying only the paranoid survive, right? Yes. And you're like, do you know what? Maybe there's something to that, but do you want to live your entire life walking around paranoid? Like that just sounds... Horrible. It really does. So I totally, I totally get that, and I totally get wanting that cushion. We did it really early in in our experience already after Basecamp was just like two years old. You guys have done it after after fourteen years, so it's obviously a a, a different kind of scale. But I, I think the sentiments are they're very similar. Yeah, um, I think so But too. Yeah. if I may, then ask a couple of questions about sort of then the path that goes um, goes into the company or, or the part that goes into the company because perhaps that was one of the things from the from the PR or the um, announcement of the um, of the funding that kind of just rubbed me in this way of like why is this so hard to talk about in a i mean I don't want to say honest way but in a in a frank way where for example um, I, I think you wrote up the the announcement where it said something about like uh, our partnership with Excel helps us ensure that we have the resources not only to stay at the forefront of the privacy landscape, but to push the industry forward as well. And then on security, Excel will help take our processes, our protections, and our research to the next level. And I I kind of felt like, again, you, you can just tell me to shut up, but I kind of <laughs> felt like it was a little incongruent. like Because I had this sense that what you were telling me, like, hey, the majority of the money went off the table. This wasn't so much about the company needed more money for research and development, this was just, hey, we're taking some money off the table. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to apologize for taking money off the table. But then this feel of, well, we got to rationalize it somehow. We got to rationalize it as it, like, hey, you're getting more privacy. You're getting more security.
3: So a couple thoughts there. First of all, you know, it just has to be said, if, if a majority of 200 million is taking off the table, there's still a big fucking number left right? Like it's, it's ridiculous what these numbers are. It's, 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 it's crazy, right? You know, just that alone is going to give, it's going to give us more confidence, right? I find myself, maybe you feel the same way. So you, you talk about like, you know, entrepreneurs feel paranoid and, 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 and we need confidence and like this type of stuff. And, and, and it's all true. And I, I I feel that I feel that way often. Um, But in addition to that, I spend a lot of my time feeling frustrated, and it's, it's not a really good feeling, but like, it's, it's actually frustration because you, you know that there's things that you could be doing, right? You know that there's things that would help your company, it would help your employees, it would help your users. You're actively saying no, <laughs> to, because like, your, your hands are already full. Um, you look around the, t- the team and their hands are already full. So it's like, you know what, we'll get to that next year. And, and we say that quite frequently, Um, and, and, and here's, here's one example. We're, we're pretty, I hate to use the word crazy, darn it, but, uh, you know, you do use it in your, in your title of your book. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and use it. Um, we're, we're pretty crazy when it comes to privacy. Like we, we bend over backwards to, to make sure that we're not getting any additional information from our users that they don't explicitly want us to have. And out of that principle, you know, we don't add analytics to our apps. So we actually don't know what features you're using in the app on a day-to-day. And so we actually would love to add analytics one of these days, but I just, I don't know. I, I'm i probably going too far to be completely honest, but like I'd rather err on the side of just don't collect stuff because, you know, you might end up figuring something out that you don't want to know about about a user. Or, heaven forbid, the uh, the feds come and say, hey, I know you have analytics. I want to know how this user is using the app. But Apple in... Um, I think it was two years ago now, they added uh, differential privacy. But the idea was they wanted to know what their users were doing, but they wanted to do it in a completely anonymous way. And this has actually been on my wish list ever since I was heard Apple like give this presentation and, and talking about differential privacy. I think it's really cool. It's something I, I, want, I want to learn more about. I, I want to add to our products. And instead, we quite frankly have just said, no, we just we don't have time for that. So we're, we're basically living without analytics. And so that, that's an example where the money itself is not necessarily going to help with that. But of course, we can actually maybe grow the team and have more confidence to grow the team. You know, right now, I don't want to say we're constantly firefighting, because I, I think that would sell us short. But um, I will say all of our hands are, are full. And we just we just Say no to too many things.
2: I, I love that um, allegiance to privacy. I mean, I think there's there's few causes in in the tech world that I've cared more about, and I think it's also actually one of those key nerves. Actually, that a lot of the commentary, the uncertainty, or the disappointment, or the dismay that was expressed online go along those lines, right? That so people are like, one password has some very intimate pieces of data, like not only just the outright passwords, but what those passwords unlock. And uh, perhaps people are using the secure notes or other features where they're actually storing key pieces of information in, in, in one password. So that sense of knowing who owns the company, who controls the company and feeling fuzzy, and warm about that connection. I think that's one of the reasons why those uh, nerves sometimes end up being exposed and people go like, Jesus, I, I mean, this is terrible or this doesn't sound good. I'm curious, when, when uh, you mentioned uh, in one of the write-ups that, that you received a lot of well wishes on, on the announcement. Did it surprise you that there were also thousands of people who expressed disappointment or dismay or, or, or just almost angry uncertainty?
3: No, no. Not at all. I guess I should have started the show with this. Um, my title here at One Password is uh, heart and soul. And a big reason of that is because I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so when you're that type of person, yeah, when you, when you read the actual individual tweets, like it, it does hurt and you're like, oh, you know, you, you feel pretty bad. So in some ways that may have been shocking. Um, but I was fully expecting there to be, I don't want to say a backlash, but because uh, the vast majority of our of our users are not are not taken to Twitter and with pitchforks. Certainly, there's a lot of concerns being raised, and I welcome them. I, I wish I could spend all day writing blog posts because, like, a lot of these tweets are poking at really interesting questions, and that's actually why I wrote that love letter to you was because I just enjoyed it. It was fun. I have a I have a nerd nerd crush on you, and 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 I know you're younger than me, but I actually look up to you, and and so like. It felt right that, that what, what would you do in, in real life if there was no internet? Well, you'd probably, you'd probably write a love letter. So that, that's, that's the approach I took. And I tried to use that to explore people's concerns and try to, try to address them and try, try to explain where we're coming from. You, you mentioned control. Okay. Now, if you're no longer in control, then maybe you'll start adding, more surveillance to your ads, like uh, subscribe to the surveillance economy, or maybe you'll start showing ads, all sorts of um, concerns like that. And that's why we we wouldn't have been part of any deal whatsoever had we lost control. I guess it might be different if I wasn't an active part of the company anymore. And if, if everyone else kind of wanted to just retire or something like that, maybe that would be different, but like, we're nowhere near that point. Like that's just we're all actively working on one password and we're all enjoying ourselves and and we all see a tremendous p- potential. So when we went into this deal, we're like, yeah, we're we're keeping all, complete control. And we did.
2: I, I think that that's really the key here. And I think that that's, there's so much that hinges on that sense of trust with the founders, with, with the, both of you guys and, and whoever else is on your leadership team, that they sort of stay in place. And not just that they stay in place, but they stay true to sort of the values that people feel like they signed up for. And I think a lot of the commentary and a lot of commentary I make online, these things are not on individuals. It's on the structure. Like looking at the history of, say, venture capital, what happens to companies when they disappoint that venture capital. Like some of the recent examples that have popped up, which I thought were just particularly tragic, and, and none of these are tied to 1Password, nor you're accountable for them or anything else like that. It's just sort of illustrations of what happens in venture capital when happy assumptions that uh, are shared on, on announcement day, and, and that incredible journey turns out to be a little less incredible, or the rocket ship, turns out to sputter or or blow up, um, that things then change. Like you look at a a company like Meetup that had a nice profitable business, raised money and then was not quite profitable enough to make it all the way to an IPO on their own, uh, not quite profitable enough to just uh, sort of stay where they were. And boom, they end up being sold to WeWork. It didn't take that much, that long for, for the sale to, uh, to WeWork before things like, oh, now we're instituting this like $2 charge per person. And people go like, what the hell? Like, I, I believed in Meetup's mission for 10 years. And then because they happened to have taken money from someone seven years ago, that's, that bill is now coming due. Or you take an example like Patreon, who goes out and says like, hey, we have a, a nice business here taking a 5% cut of hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you know what? That's unsustainable. It's just not good enough. Why? Because they took $170 million in VC and like, yeah, that isn't good enough. You can't just turn out a $40 million a year business once you've raised $170 million. Or even go all the way to the to the best case scenario, like the successes. You take something like Dropbox, right? A, Big success for the venture capitals. It made it all the way to the IPO. The IPO was then kind of a disappointment, and it's been trading down ever since. And now you see things like, oh, we're going to raise the price like 20% year over year with some bullshit justification that you get more space. And people go like geez, I'm really locked in here. Like, I'm really locked into Dropbox. It feels pretty shitty that they do this or that they start shoving all this corporate enterprise-y collaboration junk down my throat. All I wanted was my files to be synced, right? And in all of those stories, I can see sort of these silhouettes, these shades of how people would say the same about 1Password if things came to be not so great, right? And I think that that's, that's the fears. That it is, in some ways, it's, it's completely unreasonable for for anyone to ask you to answer for those fears, because all you've done up until this point for 14 years was build a great business that built the trust and all these things. But I think it just goes to show how delicate that trust is and how much um, something like venture capital, a category, can cast doubt over even the most stellar and speckless uh, reputation, and I think that that's that's where a lot of it comes from. And it's certainly, I mean, partly here I'm, I'm speaking for myself, right? Like that's where some of my anxieties come from. I come from the anxiety that like I don't want one password to turn into neither Dropbox, like the supposed success, nor Meetup, the not so much the success, or even something like. GitHub, right? Uh, GitHub, another example of a company uh, independent for a long time. Then they they raised also, I think, actually one hundred and fifty or two hundred million. Where I also believe that the majority of that um, went to went to the founders. And then the quote unquote success, which is again them selling to a big tech conglomerate like Microsoft, and we kind of get some of the political fallout from that with either whether it's the ice contracts. or so just this idea that like you know what if if we're all just building big or companies that are making the large conglomerates bigger, uh, that's just depressing. So, I mean, a lot of this is, is, is you think of, uh, uh, what is it, like a, a pessimist is, a, is an optimist that keeps being disappointed, um, that there's some of that sentiment of, of, of pessimism that comes from continuously disappointed optimism or continuously investing your, 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 your heart In products or services that you use, you buy or you you pay for, you root for, you feel like, man, this is really great. They're doing really great. And then it just turns out that like on on so many outcomes on the venture capital spectrum, whether it's a complete failure, whether it's a middling success or even if it's a blowout success, you go like, there's a lot of disappointment in here. So I think uh, I think where that some of that is coming from. So we've talked a little bit about when, – when we uh, talk about the Bezos deal that Jason and I did, we talk usually about minority, no control, right? Like those are two of the key statements. First, you, you don't have a majority of, of neither the outright shares or the voting shares, and you don't have control to force us to do anything in particular. And I think – you picked up on that in, in, in one of your notes as well. Uh, where I'm curious to get your take is to explore what no control actually means when it comes to venture capital. Because first of all, I'm I'm pretty sure I read that like Excel is taking at least one, or they're taking one board seat, right? Which sort of brings me to the to sort of that uh, parallel of all you need is one juror often defense or attorneys or prosecutors they talk about like you just need one juror who's like really committed to a certain outcome and then it's surprisingly easy to turn the other 11 around um so I'm curious to to get your take on like what does it mean to have someone from a venture capital background who's Intentions are like, they're not like evil. They're very clear. Like, hey, we need this investment to go, whatever, five, 10X over five to seven years. How do you square against that? Not in such a way that the person can actually force you to do something, but they can actually make you want to do something.
3: Quite a few places I can take that. So first we should clear up some confusion there, right? Excel doesn't require a rocket ship from us. I think we could become one don't get me wrong but they don't require that they are investors and like any other investors they could go put their money in the s p 500 and the s p 500 you know gives them like 10 percent return on their on their investment per year and so they basically just have to beat that and so when you're investing in very early startups you have to at least have a couple of rocket ships to pay for, as you say, the wasteland of the other 98%. In a late stage venture, it's it's much, much different. You know, if they do two or three X, you know, which honestly, I expect to do a lot more than that. Like just personally, like I would not be happy if, if one password didn't do more than, than two or three X. But like if they did two or three X, they're they're doing just fine. Everything's called a series A. But that simply means, like, that's the first, that's the first outside investment. It's like,
2: so, 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 just to, just to, on that point, you think Excel in like, let's say, seven years from now, if, if you're doing twice the revenue that you're doing today, they're going to look back on that and say, like, man, this, this was great.
3: Well, it's I have to kind of dance here because I'm not going to be sharing any financials. I'm just that's just not. Sure. No. Uh, so
2: no. I so I'm, wouldn't wouldn't want you to either. Just in terms of like um, orders of magnitude. Like if, if you did, I mean, I, I have no idea actually what your finances are. But whatever they are today, if you two x that over over the seven year uh, span, do you think Excel would would be saying like, "Wow, we're really happy we put in two hundred million here."
3: I think they would realize that we missed an opportunity. Um, but can I can I just I'm not, I'm not um sidestepping your question, but I do tend to forget things. So if I forget to come back, please, please just bring me back. Okay. But I, I wanted I just want to talk about something. You had this really nice post, the deal Jeff Bezos got on Basecamp. And I just love that title because it was like Jeff Bezos got a hell of a deal. Man, we 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 sold him some shares. Uh, I guess you're a limited uh, liability corporation. So it's, it's slightly different, but you know, you sold a mistake in the company and you've been paying dividends and he's made a ton of money since. And in your post, I love it because you said something along the lines of, you know, dividends, who would have thought, right? Like it's, it's almost like it's a completely foreign concept that companies just don't do dividends anymore. If, if we just stayed on our current trajectory, I think Excel would be doing just just fine with their dividends. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not going to be happy. Like, of course, they want a 10X or 100X. Like, that, that would be, that'd be wonderful. But they don't require that. They, they, like, it's just, that would be gravy. That would be gravy. So, I, I know you want to talk about the control, and I, I want to get there, too. It's just, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really hate myself if I hang up and I, and I don't at least say this out loud. So, you mentioned change and then, like, the reaction that we got from change. We've been doing this for fourteen years now, and so for fourteen years, well for quite a few number of those fourteen years, whenever we would make a change, a certain subset of our users would be like all up in arms and I would take that extremely personally and and it was you know it, it caused me well pain's not too strong of a word, like it caused me great pain um, and actually, as a personal progress in life, like one of the things that i that that I did. Uh, Rustam actually recommended a book to me called How to Fly Your Horse or How to Fly a Horse. Uh, I forget which exactly one it is. And this is a tremendous book. It's true. This is a tremendous book for people who are creators because it walks you through how throughout our history, lots of people have created stuff and there would be a huge backlash against them. And the whole book just just talks about how it's human nature to fear change. Um, something as simple as like washing your hands before um, delivering a baby—that was actually in the book. And and the person who who in, "quote unquote" invented like he just had this idea. Um, babies were dying, so like why don't we try washing our hands before uh, the mother gives birth? Um, and he was ridiculed. And so it's it's just, it's just really really interesting. And so ever since I read that book, I wish I read it much earlier. I've now learned to take criticism a lot less personally than I used to. And, and and that that that's helped helped me a lot. It's it's allowed me to try to dig a little bit deeper. So when when there's a tweet uh, talking about how well without control you're going to do this or without control you're going to do that, it allows me to dig deeper and actually see where people are coming from. And I you know gives me a chance to breathe a little bit and then try to go and address the the the, the root concern. It feels like I'm kind of dodging your point. So let's get back to control. Control is an interesting thing. You're right. Um Arun is is on our board and have board meetings and type stuff like that. more to the point we 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 communicate, we just we just talk. And so yeah, he's going to be influencing our thoughts. And I'm looking forward to that. We've been building one password by ourselves. I feel like we've been doing it in our basement, right? Like um you know, by ourselves in the corner, right? You got your head down all the time. And you know, it's really hard to to look up and look around the field to see to see what's going on, and we we've actually craved some outside perspective for for quite some time. We actually actually looked to bring in other advisors and, and board of directors and stuff like that, and it's just it just never happened. As we worked with with Excel, we started to build a relationship with Arun, and you know yes, he's a VC. My or Sorry, he's a partner in a VC company. So the instant fe- feeling is, oh, <laughs> you must be evil, right? Must must be uh, uh, the devil. But over over years, we we started to build a relationship with them, and and so it was actually about six years until we we agreed that yeah, let's let's uh, let, let, let's have a partnership here and and um, and see what we can do. But at the end of the day we have full control. And, and so that goes that goes in through many ways. So I, I really want to give you a chance to talk soon. So I'm going to take a drink of water while, while, while you talk, but I, I want to keep on, on this control subject because a lot of the tweets are, okay, you have control today, but what about tomorrow? Right? So it's like, so, so we've addressed the first level of concern, but we need to, we need to get to the second level of concern as well.
2: Yeah. I think the concern with that, um, with the statement, like, this is a minority stake, there's no control, is that that people do sort of read a little between those lines and go, well, you're adding a board member and you're specifically saying the reason we add this board member is because we want to learn from their experience. We want to know what they know about growing, growing companies, not only do we want to know what they know, we want them to essentially help us install, I think one of the posts said something about it, like help us find the leaders to take us to the next level. So I think when, when people, and when I read something like that, I go like, this is, this is not quite as arm's length as, as minority, no control perhaps could, could seem like just as a slogan. This seems like a pretty intimate thing. And if I, Trust uh, Dave and I trust the team that that he had in place i don 't extend automatically, and I think a lot of other uh, observers wouldn 't extend that trust just to hey here 's a venture capitalist who who comes in they 're going to be advising the company to obviously suit whatever their objectives are they 're going to be installing leadership and and managers and and help shepherding. The growth, that rocket ship, the hopefully 5, 10, 100x or whatever um, outcome that they, they're they pining for. And then, then we end up in a place where we don't recognize the people anymore. And I think that that's part of – I mean I kind of – I made a lot of people on on venture capital Twitter mad when I, I made a, a funny – well, I thought it was funny. They clearly didn't think it was funny. But I made a jab about something like uh, uh, venture capital eating entrepreneurial brains, right? And that's what I meant. I meant the idea that you take an entrepreneur who you might feel like they have all the, the right incentives. They have all the right values. They have all the right things. Then you put them in a boardroom with uh, – a, a group or, or single venture capital for long enough, they're going to come out, as you say, changed, right? And sometimes, I mean, there could be a fear just in change in general, but I think the fear is that the entrepreneur becomes more like the venture capital. And I think that the, the fear there is backed up just by the number of times that has happened, where you look at the companies and you look at the choices they make and you go like, I can trace that choice to the value system of venture capital. I can trace that choice or that decision to the outcomes that they're going for. And you just go like, that's so sad. Like, I I wish that that zombie infection hadn't happened. I wish that that company had just perhaps not tried to go for for the moon, right? Like that's the whole rocket ship uh, metaphor here that like they're trying to go for the moon or they're trying to go for Mars. Like, hey, could we just stay on earth or in orbit or somewhere else like in connection to to, the rest of us like could we get better companies if more of them weren't in uh, on this rocket ship um and so i i think that's really the crux of it is in in which ways once you invite ve- venture capital into your fold are you simply just subject to the structural pressures that venture capital applies and it's not about like whether one venture capital is the devil or they're evil like I mean for Christ's sake most of them wear Patagonia vests and, and walk in all birds shoes like it, it, these aren't like cartoonishly evil people in in some sense where you're like they're their uh, their being is just wrong. Like that's not what it is, right? They're just people working in a system under structural incentives and pressures, like most of us. And you just go like as a critique of those that structure and of those incentives. You go, I I wish companies didn't have that. So I'm curious to have your your thoughts just on like, do you think that is a, a concern for one password? Is it a concern for you that you you end up genuinely changing your ways in 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 ways that then align to what venture capital essentially wants out of companies and and you sort of like perhaps would end up regretting that
3: yeah I certainly I certainly worry a lot I worry about everything <laughs> I worry about too much it's it's one of the it's one of the reasons I do yoga is because I try to I try to reclaim some some of that peace of mind yeah you, you touched on a lot of a lot of really good things there I wrote down I wrote down a couple of them. Uh, leaders. Let, let's just start with leaders. So yeah, we we want Excel to help us find some more some additional leaders. Now, we need to be careful there. We have some really damn good leaders on our team right now. They're not going anywhere, right? We, we, we desperately want them to stay because they've made one pass for what it is today, and we want them to keep on pushing. But there's a whole lot of other missing parts that we just... It's holes in the in the puzzle if you will hr is is, is the biggest one like i came from ibm and a, you know super structured place i love ibm Don't, i'm not saying anything wrong wrong about them but their hr it was like oh man it was like why does this division even exist and so for a very large portion of my career i would you know make fun of hr as we've grown though I've started to get so much more respect for HR, like just so much more respect. We're now 174 people. And honestly, I think we needed HR when we crossed about, I don't know, maybe the 50 or 80 person mark. Like we, we, we should have been investing in HR much earlier. It's, it's one example of, of several where we've very much have taken uh, the advice of, of getting real because you know, there's so many things in there, like you don't need a process. Like if, if something happens out of the ordinary, you know, don't make a process for it. Just just move on, right? Don't don't worry about it. And so we we did that for many, many, many years. And it's worked really well. But at a point in time, you start to actually Want some process, and I, I surprise myself whenever I say that. Say that, but you know, you start to want to know that. Okay, this thing over here, someone's got it. Someone's going to own that and and get it to completion, and I—I I don't have to worry about that. There's so many so many sections of our company where we just don't have any process at all. It, it'd be it'd be handy to have some. And and what what I found interesting about uh, the examples you were giving, and and just honestly, whenever a company starts to grow. I don't know. Is is it the VCs? Is it that the VCs are evil and this type of stuff and and the VCs are fucking everything up? Or is it that, you know, growing is just damn fucking hard. Like it really is. It's, it's, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of it. It takes a lot of attention and, and it takes people pushing on it to actually, to get it through. I I often just wonder like, like VC or no VC. I just worry about as one password, the company grows, what's going to happen right? Like, am I eventually going to wake up someday at a company that I don't like working for? Like that would be, that's like my worst nightmare. We do our best to actually grow in as smart a way as we can and try to preserve our, our culture as much as we can. Absolutely preserve our values. We're growing much faster than, I don't know, than I ever expected. Perhaps Jeff, our CEO, maybe he could foresee this. But to me, I'm amazed at our growth. Like it's just, it's just uh stupendous is a, is a word I would use for it. Like it's just, it's absolutely remarkable. And so we need to grow and, and create systems and, and, and get the right systems in place and and the right people and and like all this stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit scary. I'm, you know, I'll be flat out honest. Yeah. I, I, I worry about that stuff a lot. We've done it successfully for 14 years. That's one thing I, I, I just lose track. Like I don't really pay attention. I just, you know, it was not like some master plan. We just kind of go as we you know, go along as we go. And, um, but I did the math and, uh, we went from two people to 174 people and we've been here seven, 14 years. So we're basically been doubling every other year anyways, right? Like we're, we're already growing quite aggressively. Somehow, I don't know how, but somehow we need to find a way to actually continue that growth, but maybe, like hopefully, we find a way to accelerate it. I'm going to stop talking here real soon because I tend to, I tend to, I tend to uh, I think
2: that I think that th- that hits the nail on the head. The, the fear you say about the fear of waking up one day and not liking the company that you're at, I remind myself of that at least once a week. Of all the choices we make at Basecamp... How do we make choices such that I want to continue working here for the next 10 years? And I think that this is one of those things why I'm so eager to explore that venture capital question with a lot of entrepreneurs. Because when you look at the history of venture capital, the number of times where founders wake up in companies that they no longer want to be part of, it's very high. You could say, I mean, whether that's because of the venture capitalists or it's because of the growth pressure or they just wake up and think like, you know what? I don't want to work at a company that has a thousand employees and I'm just dealing with four layers of managers of managers. I I really liked it at 150 people or 178 people. And I think that that's the – the danger that I see for someone like you, for someone like me, for for any other founder who's in this position where you go like, you know, what if I reach the point where I really like it? Like, say you get to the point of 250 people and you go like, this is a great size. I get to deal with with managers. We have a large amount of impact, but I'm still, I don't know, involved with some initiatives, hands-on. This is a great size. Like, if we were to double that again and become 500 or double that again and become 1,000, like, my job would just change in ways where I wouldn't like it. What would happen? Like, is that even allowed? Can you step off the bus? And that's the the part where I... I share your fears, but perhaps even more, uh, I, I think that that's inevitable because then you're going to hit that brick wall that is, hey, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Dave, but we all agreed that this is the rocket ship. Like, we can't stop here. We can't stop at 250. We need to preferably double next year and double the year after that. And that's that's the road it's on. And that's where it comes in where it doesn't really matter whether someone has overt control or not. I mean, I'm just high, making a hypothesis here, but I'm I'm going to think that you're going to feel like, yeah, do you know what? This is what I signed up for, whether I now like it or not. And then what has happened, obviously, I mean, several of the companies I mentioned earlier sort of scarecrow examples, that was exactly what happened. The founders ended up being disinterested, stopped coming in to work. Well, they kind of, in some cases, perhaps didn't even need to because now there was a new layer of management installed, new leaders. And then they sort of just checked out. And then you ended up with the company... There was far less of what it started with in terms of its roots, in terms of its values and its people and its trust. And you ended up with that outcome where you go like, do you know, what? I don't know how we ended up here. We ended up here one day at the time. And that just seems like uh, kind of hard, actually, to deal with. Like, uh, like as you're saying, your fear is you wake up one day and you think, this is not the company I want to work at. What would you do if you wake up and, and you think like, well, do you know what? 250 people the size we're at, this is a good size. What if we could just stay here? Is that, is that ever an option?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. It's certainly something I, I think a lot about. Instead of talking about the future, why don't I just talk about the past just for a little bit? So we were two people, we hired folks. We got up to about 20. This is about probably eight years ago now. And we were at 20 people, Russo and I, and we were doing, we were doing fine you know, we were wearing many, many hats and we were juggling a lot of stuff. But, uh, you know, we were young then, full of piss and vinegar and, and, and we could we could handle it. But, you know, the 19th person, the 20th person, whatever, 21, 22, like this, every person that, that, that joined, which by the way, we we, we very much subscribed to the getting reels, like, you know, hire after you need to, like don't hire when you think you need someone. Like we, we would hire when it was abundantly clear that uh that this role was 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 needed and so we got to a point where we were like huh i'm still enjoying it at work but like i'm working myself to death here and like this is just this is just not sustainable but we needed to make a decision we we had to decide like should we put the brakes on one password because like basically at that time we were more successful than i ever dreamed of (laughs) like this was eight years ago and so it was like should we put the brakes on because we could we could. We had like a uh, we were starting to build out our, our, our Android product. I guess it'd been there for a while, but we had continue to build our Android product. We were building out our Windows product. We we had like a web store version, we had like a Mac app store version, like we, we had like we had a bunch of stuff and, and each of them had their had, had their had their place and their purpose and, and they were great. And we we're like, well, should we put on the brakes and maybe just get rid of some of these things? Right. Like we could go Mac app store only. That would save us the web store. We wouldn't need to run our Rails app anymore. We wouldn't have to maintain our database. Um, we wouldn't have to worry about taxes because like Apple would take care of all that. We could just close down Android and Windows because like, you know, you know, we, 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 we just trying to like focus, right? Like just trying to reduce the amount of stuff that we need to do. And and this was like totally an option. And it's, it's one that we almost took. The other side of that decision was, okay, let's hire a CEO. Now that sounds scary and it is scary because you're going to hire someone and how do you how do you make sure they're going to share your values? How do you make sure they're going to drive the, the company in the, in the direction that you want? Now, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really know the answer to that question, but I got damn lucky, like damn lucky because when I worked at IBM, I made a really good friendship with Jeff Shiner, who was my boss at the time. And and we we made a really good friendship there. Uh, we used to finish each other's basements, like like all sorts of stuff. Like we, we were like really tight knit. And um, after I left IBM, we, we we kept in touch. And he left IBM as well, so we kind of went our separate ways. But we kept in touch. And then I drove out to his house one day, uh, about eight years ago. And I basically like I was I don't want to say defeated, but like I was like clearly burnt out. And so I went there with probably the worst sales pitch that I've ever. Done, right? Because you know, again, I'm just burnt out. I'm just like, we got this app. It's going, it's doing pretty well, and uh, it's going a little bit too well. And uh, yeah, would you like to kind of come and help us run the company here. And um, we got we got lucky, and and Jeff said Jeff said yes. And so he joined us uh, eight years ago, and um, we we've been growing ever since. And and, I, and I'll say I'll say with confidence, like. I'm much happier now than I was eight years ago. And it's not that hard to figure out why. Like I actually get some sleep now. I was going through quite some periods there for quite some time where I basically couldn't remember anything because I, I didn't get any sleep. You know, I just wouldn't remember that I was supposed to do certain things. That was, that was when I left the stove on when I left the house. Um, that's a separate story. Um, but that did not end well. Anyways, we we had a choice to make. Do we, do we grow the company or do we put on the brakes? And, We made the decision to hire Jeff, and it turned out remarkably well. We find ourselves at basically the exact same fork in the road now. Uh, People, particularly companies, are adopting 1Password faster than I ever imagined, and we've basically outgrown all of our systems that we have Thank God our database is on Amazon because all we all you have to do is go into like the uh, admin admin console and you just click a little button to upgrade, right? It's like I want the bigger instance, please, and and you're fine. But we do, we don't we don't have that here in in, in our processes and and in our, in our structure, and so it's it's actually scary, but it's also uh, very exciting because we're going to do our best to 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 grow these processes that we need so that we can build some structure there and, and some additional teams that we just don't even exist right now. Right. Like, like, it's not like we, the team's too small. It's like, no, the, the team just doesn't even exist to, to, to grow some additional teams so that we can start being able to handle, to handle the load. And when we went through all the various ways of doing that, by far the, the best, the best option was to, to partner with Excel. We, we certainly could have done it ourselves with like enough sweat and tears and, and energy and all that type of stuff. But I suspect that would, that would have taken years. And to be quite frank, you only have so much energy that you can devote to a task on, on, on any given day. And I fear that if we did decide to do it ourselves, we'd basically come out the other end exhausted. That's, that's not good for anyone either.
2: Totally. I, I, and I can see that this is where... We talk about these moments in time, these scars that you have on your on your memory. I mean, I have all sorts of scars from being with Basecamp for eighteen years that inform how we run the company today. And to have sort of like, hey, we don't want to go back to the time where I left the stove on, right? Like <laughs> that's a very visceral image to to have in your mind to help you drive decisions. And I think that that's, I mean, that's what humans do, right? Like we we have this catalog of of past experiences that we filter all our decisions and our hopes and our dreams through. And that's how we end up being different, right? That's how we end up making different decisions. And I think that that's, that's why it's so great that um, that we had the opportunity to, to get you on the show. Because I think sharing those different paths and sharing those different experiences help people understand how different people end up arriving at different conclusions based on even the same facts or even sharing much of the same values about how to build a company or the things that they worry about. Because as I listen to you talk, I, I there's so much of it where I just I'm nodding my head and I go that's exactly what we were in. And then there are these small forks in the road, road or these slightly different experiences or slightly different times where where we went different paths and that's how we end up with with different uh, premises and assumptions and fears and hopes and and dreams and all these other things. So I just want to give you a huge thanks for coming on the show and and sharing all this. I just want to also like one password if i could wish for anyone to beat the odds of the venture capital game it i'm going to i'm going to put my money on you and i'm going to put my money on uh, on one password and i'm going to cross my fingers and and hope in 7 years we look back at this conversation and and we laugh about all the unfounded fears and on the <laughs> unfounded concerns and we go like do you know what this was just a slam dunk this was one of those times where the averages were beat and the structural incentives didn't screw things up and it turned out great.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for saying so. I, I really appreciate that. I um, And thank you so much for having me on the show. It, it certainly turned out a lot nicer than a Twitter thread, um, I think. And it uh, it saved me some RSI in my wrists as, as I type that through. And honestly, you know, I've told you this a couple of times, you really did help Make one password take place. And it's just, uh, you do such a great job of like actually documenting what's on your mind publicly. It helps a lot. My main regret is I don't, I don't blog enough. There's thousands of other entrepreneurs coming on the scene every day. And I need to give back and, 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 and blog more for these, these people. And I'm going to try to follow your lead and do that.
2: Well, I think you've, you've given back a ton on, on this show and helping other entrepreneurs at least wrestle with the questions through other people's experiences. I think this is how we can help others level up and they can come to their own conclusions. They can filter through their uh, experiences and and see where we went and and decide for themselves. But just being more aware of that, I think, is, uh, is a huge help. And then I'd also say just that, I mean, I, I appreciate the kind words, but uh, sometimes I also wish that I didn't actually have this uh, almost uh, unavoidable drive to document everything <laughs> that's on my mind. Um, <laughs> because a lot of that ends up on Twitter and elsewhere where you go like, do you know what? That was a fleeting thought that ended up being a tweet and... <laughs> maybe that shouldn't have been committed to um, <laughs> the internet. But thank you so much again, and all the best with 1Password. And I, maybe we can actually set up a rendezvous. We check in in seven years, and and we bring out the champagne, and we celebrate. I would love that. Awesome.
0: Rework is produced by Sean Hilner and me, Waylon Wong. Music for the show is by ClipArt. You can find show notes for this episode at our website, Rework.fm, and we're on Twitter at Rework Podcast.
1: Rework is brought to you by Basecamp. Basecamp puts everything you need to get work done in one place. It's the calm, organized way to manage projects, work with clients, and communicate company-wide. Try it for yourself at Basecamp.com.